Today's TribCast is brought to you by our sponsors. The Texas Municipal League is a 1,150-plus cities building safer communities and a stronger economy. Learn more at tml.org. And Ambassador Antonio Garza. Mexico, more than just a neighbor. For timely cross-border insights, turn to former U.S. Ambassador Antonio Garza. Learn more at TonyGarza.com. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are and Texas guys Hello, this is Ron Wright, Republican candidate for Texas Congressional District 6. As Tarrant County Tax Assessor Collector, I made it my mission to collect the money our local government is due and not one dollar more. As your intro to this week's TribCast, I'm making it my mission to ensure that Evan Smith speaks as long as he must and not one minute more. How's that for a conservative campaign platform? Now here's your host, the incomparable Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here on the first Wednesday in January with your Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly podcast on all things Texas politics and policy. I'm joined today by our usual suspects who are going to give you their New Year's resolutions. CEO Evan Smith. I have to give you my resolution yes. now. This is like Sarah Sanders demanding <laughs> <laughs> to know what you're thankful right. for. What I'm thankful for. Uh, I know um, you're not thankful for my, anything. My, so my I, might res- as well. I have two resolutions. One is I'm going to resolve not to be on my phone during the Tribcast. Let's see how long that lasts. The second Until resolution is week. after that mean intro, I'm going to endorse Jake Elzey for Congress. <laughs> oh, we have an editorial page now? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Maybe. Well, maybe I'll let you write a trip talk column. Executive editor and no one Ross will read Ramsey. That's good. Howdy. What are your resolutions? Um, You're going on the whole 30? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're back on the whole 30. I am. So you're just going to be mean as shit is, in a newsroom, whoa, right? Whoa, I was never mean as shit on the whole 30. The whole 30 makes me a better I resolved not to do the whole 30 or even the half 30 during 2018. So what exactly is the, give us like 10 seconds on what the whole 30 is. No fun. Okay, yeah, but you're a delight <laughs> to be around. <laughs> and political reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Um, I... I can't promise not to be on my, my phone during the TripCast, <laughs> but I, I can promise not to be I can weird resolve, for a change. I can resolve to scale it back 25%, 25% less time on my phone during the TripCast. What, what's your position on the whole 30? Um, against it, I think. It doesn't sound like fun. I mean, we have, now have a testimony. That's Is it like fun. meat? Yeah. He likes milk in his coffee. That's true. Is it meat? It's meat. Meat is allowed. It's kind of like paleo, but no sugar, no dairy, no alcohol. That's the biggest Oh, those are three of the main food I foods. I actually exactly. think I could if I could do all those. You can't eat beans. That's you, the other thing. Oh, can you put oh, soy I'm milk out. in your You coffee? should probably get closer to I'm, I'm out. Before Todd has a heart attack. Oh, Todd also, Todd Wiseman, our producer, would like to remind you all uh, that if you'd like to donate to the Texas Tribune, you can do it at support.texastribune.org. He's getting a little worried about his big salary. And Todd doesn't said, give yeah. a crap about that. Wait, did you ask yeah. him about soy milk? Yeah, does, that's an alternative for... Whole 30, uh, right? Yes. Yeah. You soy can products. have soy. Okay. Yeah. So Evan or almond milk, coconut okay. milk. Uh, Let me name all the milks. Well, let's, <laughs> let's move past the milks. Uh, let's talk. <laughs> this is already way off. I rails. resolved to make this my last cast of the year. <laughs> I know. I think that was mine. Everybody actually. else already resolved that, I think. Yep. All right, so uh, let's talk about a couple of the big headlines from the week so far, starting with the news that Julian Castro, the former San Antonio mayor turned former HUD director, is launching a new political action committee. Um, Evan thinks he's running for president. What do the rest of you think? I think Evan's right. 
Oh, yeah, I think in the modern political era, this is exactly the kind of group that you set up ahead of a, a presidential run, and it allows you to, you know, go across the state and the country and, and help other candidates who could, you know, help you out in the future if you run for president. And earn uh, chits. Yeah, exactly. Markers well, from, there's, right, from there's, people who, who you've and, helped. And Castro's already been right. doing this. I mean, he's already, uh, maybe he's now ramping it up, but he has already been uh, traveling to a number of states and helping out uh, various candidates that he's endorsed in Virginia and in Florida, and he's been helping out in, in Texas in some ways as well. So I, what's this I, PAC going to do? Well, there's a couple of ways to, to start your presidential campaign, and one of them is to go around the country getting in newspapers all over the place. It's sort of the national Beto O'Rourke campaign. You can do it with a biography. You know, we see all these campaign biographies that everybody carries around, and I'm not campaigning. I'm just doing book signings. By the and way, he has a book that he's in the process yes, right, right now. Ding, 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 ding. Right. Is he and still it, teaching at UT also? Or he's teaching he, at the yeah. And that, that puts you in front of the general public or people who run around, you know, thinking about politics, and then the PAC puts you in front of fundraisers who say, you know, hey, you know, you can go through and say, I'm raising money for this and that and the other thing, and I might be back someday asking you for a personal favor, and you meet all in, those in people. In case you wondered what end of the spectrum he would uh, land on, uh, the, the word progressive felt like it was right. in every other sentence. And the word young felt like it was in every other. He's yeah. like joining Bobby Blanchard's millennial newsletter. <laughs> I'm making a plug for that. The avocado party. The Castro avocado (laughs) 2020 ticket. No, no. Look, I I I actually think that it's a a smart enough decision to do this as far as it goes. As Patrick points out, and I had to remind myself of this when I hit Abby Livingston's story about the launch of the pack the other day. This is really not new. It said, well, you know, Castro launches new PAC. No, in fact, the PAC was announced. We reported on it months ago. The, the paperwork right? was filed for it. Paperwork was filed. Yeah. And, in fact, he has gotten in the business of supporting at least one candidate in Texas already. I mean, you point out that he's been traveling the country and putting his yeah. his perspective into other conversations. But Colin Allred, who is one of the congressional candidates in uh, Pete Sessions' district Democrat and was a former aide at HUD. I don't mm-hmm. know if he was an aide directly to Castro, but had worked at HUD previously and did voting rights work for Wendy Davis previously as an attorney, a former NFL player. He was somebody whom Castro had endorsed previously. So this is really the activating stage of an existing organization that's been, yeah. as you say, paperwork filed for several months. Um, there'll be a shorter list of people not running for president in 2020 than running. Castro was one of a ton of people who were talking about yeah. running. And in fact, there have been some lists of the 20 people likeliest to run for president that haven't even included him. He hasn't even right. made yeah. the list of the top 20. So he's attempting to establish his beachhead in this discussion, and he'll do it. And he has an argument to make. He's younger than most of the candidates. He's some 30 years younger than Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, right? Um, yeah. He's Hispanic, which puts him in the minority of, of the people who are talking about running. He's a person of color in a time when the party needs people of color to come out in great numbers to vote. We're going to talk about Latinos in Texas in a little while, but mm-hmm. nationally, that's a big part of this. Um, although he was HUD secretary, he's largely associated with having been mayor and having been more of an exec- a chief executive rather than a legislative person. I mean, he has a lot of things that set up naturally. The, the question is whether from his perspective or from people's perspective about him, whether there's anything to him substantively. That's the, that's the question that will be asked. Does his experience qualify him to be president? I guess under the current set of circumstances, no experience is qualification to be president. 
Right. Right. And in it, terms of, I'd add so just in the more near future, in terms of the timing of the PAC rollout, you couldn't find a more resonant window within the Democratic Party for making this compete everywhere argument that I think was a pretty key part of. You look at his website and you look at what he was telling our Abby Livingston about the, the PAC rollout. Uh, you know, this is coming after a number of special elections last year where Democrats beat expectations. And then, of course, it's coming just weeks after the, the Alabama Senate election where a Democrat won. Right. Well, uh, Lorena is asking on social media, has Julian Castro officially endorsed Beto? Uh, no, he hasn't. Mm -hmm. And is that, yeah, I mean. I, I don't know how much I'd read into that. Yeah, right. I imagine there'll be a time when, when there'll, there'll be a, you know, organized push for other prominent Texas Democrats to endorse Beto. Right. Is there another candidate in that race? Kim, Kimbrough, Edward Kimbrough, and Sema Hernandez. So no. Ross, well, as our I mean, handy who, election brackets who, up. Who knows? Um, I mean, it's three unknowns. They're only, you know. O'Rourke is only really a you're, name. You're, you're equating one. Beto O'Rourke with <laughs> Sema Kimbrough? Or well, he's only he's only been elected in one of 36 congressional districts. He's a mystery everywhere else. He's, you know, unless he is becomes— this Kimbrough person going to Dimebox and Dumas and every other red <laughs> community? Well, it, right now it's a race where you walk in and you say, which of these names rhymes yeah. with mine? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a crapshoot. Not Beto. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to talk about that. Look, can we just stay on with Castro for one, one, one second? Sure. I, I do think— the decision not to run in Texas in 2018 is interesting from Castro's perspective in terms of what we think he's intending to do here. It more or less confirms that, you know, it's like bad news I, I lost, worse news I won if he has federal ambitions. Well, it would be punching down. Right. right. Um, you know, w w why not him at this point? There's really no one Democrat that's right. When you say there's not one single national Democrat who is everyone's coalescing around as, a, as the likely person to take on Trump. Oh, no, not at all. I think a lot of focus has been on the, the U.S. Senate and the you know yeah. half dozen to a dozen U.S. senators who are being mentioned as candidates. And honestly, he may be running for vice president as much as president in I, the end. I have a half-baked notion that the 2020 presidential race is going to be like an open race, even if Trump's running for re-election. I think there's enough upset Republicans and certainly enough um, uprising Democrats to make this a full field election on both sides. Mm -hmm. So why not him in there with everybody else? Right. Right. Uh, well, just a reminder, if you're tuning in on social media, you can post your questions in the comments. We'll try to get to them. Um, one of Castro's stated goals with this PAC is to put candidates in state legislative offices in states where Democrats could make gains in redistricting or, you know, where there might be some wiggle room for them to take over some seats. Uh, we've had some questions on Twitter uh, on which districts in Texas realistically have a chance to flip from R to D this time around. Rob? What's your what's your punch list? Or if you were making your hot list today, what would be on them? I would say in the Senate, the only seat that probably could flip, I'm not saying it will, is Connie Burton's seat in Tarrant even, County. Even, even though Clinton won the Huffines district while Huffines was, was elected in 2016. Right. He won at 49-9 to 45-3. But at and the Clinton same time, won. yeah. Huffines wasn't on the ballot in 16, I don't think. Yeah, Huffines was not on the ballot he in 16. He's oh, on the par, ballot par, now. Par, right. Pardon me. Let me right. rephrase this that. So Huffines, Clinton, Clinton won that district. Clinton won that even district. Even though it wasn't at the same time that Don Huffines yeah, won. They Greg Abbott won that district with 57.5% when Huffines was winning the, the Senate seat. So, so and what, Greg what, Abbott's back on the ballot this time, and we've got straight ticket voting. And Hillary Clinton is not. Right. So, you not know, presidential year. I don't have that one on my list. Connie Burton's seat is the one 
if any of them flipped parties in the Senate, I would say that's the one. Say a word about the woman, if you don't mind, because this was actually news to me, and I'm supposed to be paying attention to this stuff. So, so the, Beverly the, Powell— the woman, the woman who is one of the Democratic candidates against Burton, I thought, was based on your description of her pretty interesting. Well, she's, you know, she's a real candidate. She's, um, the party in Tarrant County is as split as the party everywhere else. They've got this northeast sector that is heavily dominated by Tea Party candidates and, and social conservatives— and then they've got the Fort Worth establishment Republicans who are pushing back. And uh, Beverly Powell, I believe is her name, is the one pushing back on this. She's, you know— um, But running as a Democrat, Running as a, a Democrat, got a, you know, some Republicanism in her background, and she's switched over and said, enough of this stuff, we're going to go forward. I for, think she's going to— school board member. Right. right. She's going to be a, a real outlet for people— if there are people up there who yeah. are tired of Burton or tired of that strain of Republicanism. And do we think that the calculation by Powell here, do we know if the calculation was harder to win in a primary against somebody running to the right of you, given the small turnout and the nature of the party at the moment, but possibly easier to win in a fall election? This would be counted to everything we think about Texas right now. I don't know if that was her Where Democrats would conceivably be voting for the Democrat and some establishment Republicans who might not like to cut a Senator Burton's jib are going to cross over and vote for somebody who looks at least familiar to them. I don't know what her rationale was, but that ana- I would agree with that analysis. I think that's probably right. You know, the idea here is that the primaries, both on the Republican and the Democratic side, tend to be the purebloods. You know, these are the real conservative Republicans and the real liberal Democrats, and it's hard for a moderate to get out of either primary. But maybe if you can get out of a Democratic primary and get in front of a general electorate against a very conservative Republican, you've got a window here. So this and is this the opposite district, of what Scott Milder did, basically. Well, and this district has a history of, you know, this is the one district in the Texas Senate that could arguably be called a swing district. Wendy Davis had it before Connie Burton does. It's more Republican now than it Tony looked Gould's, when— uh, No, no, not— No, no. Uh, what's the, I got the name wrong. What's the name of the person who had it before Davis? Um, Kim Brimer. Kim, Kim Brimer had it, right. pardon me. Kim right. Brimer had it before— Davis. Right, right, right. But, All right. Well, so what other districts are on your short list? Well, so, so, that yeah, the so that's it for the Senate. For the House, there's a bunch of districts she, that she are potential flips. me, actually. She moved I did. me along. She did. I totally she did the whole 29 you. right there. Yeah. Um, the Abel Herrero district could flip. Uh, he's a Corpus Christi area Democrat. J.M. Lozano's district could flip. He's a Republican from the Valley. Larry Gonzalez's seat is an open seat district in Williamson County. That could flip to the D's. Um, it's a like I said, it's an open seat. It depends on which R gets out of there. On paper, Joe Moody's seat in El Paso could flip, but I don't think it's going to, uh, given his name ID and his opponent in that thing. The Linda Coop seat in Dallas um, could flip in the Republican primary. Some of the very conservative R's are going after her, but it's also a seat that the Democrats are looking at and mm-hmm. could flip. Um, Rodney Anderson's seat in Grand Prairie, uh, Victoria Neave's seat in. Uh, near, I guess, East Central Dallas. Um, Cindy Burkett's open seat, which is in the Mesquite area, has been a Democratic target for a long time. She's always held them off. It's open this time. Did you say Neves could flip to Republican? To Republicans. It was it was Ken yeah. Sheets' seat, and mm. she flipped it from him, and now she's weakened by the DWI idea right. and, and all of that, and, and it attracted three Republicans into that race. Is so, she also being primaried? Uh, 
Uh, I don't believe so. I, I don't have that right open in front of me, but I don't Who? believe so. Sydney Burkett? Niave. Oh, Niave. Yep. If you, no, yeah, if you so. aren't watching live right now, Ross has like this massive spreadsheet. I, that I'm you interested to hear you say uh, Herrero particularly, but also Niave and, and Moody in the sense that I don't get this. I'm set. just looking at the numbers on how the last two elections have gone. Right. I, I don't get the sense that the Democrats are thinking that they're at risk of losing any of their guys. They I'm think just, they're playing offense, right? I'm just saying if you were a Republican yeah. and you were making a target mm -hmm. list or you were a Democrat and you were making a target list, these are the names that would be on your thing. So just a couple more. Philip Cortez's seat in San Antonio. He's a Democrat. That's been on the toggle for a long time. Sarah Davis's seat is going to be hotly contested in the Republican primary where Greg Abbott has endorsed her opponent. But it's also a seat the Democrats could take. And in fact, part of Sarah Davis's argument is if the other Republican wins the primary, the Democrats will win the seat. By the way, that's the argument, I think, up in Larry Gonzalez's district, that right. if the establishment Republican is not the nominee, right. the th then the flip. Democrat, who is apparently a pretty good candidate up there, has the potential to beat the more conservative candidate. Right. right. Tony Dale's seat is going to be interesting to watch up in Williamson County. Uh, Marianne Perez's seat in um, Fort Bend. Um, is going to be a, another one. It's another rematch. Um, Gilbert Pena is back. That's one of those seats that's gone D to R. So that's a quick list. I think the Democrats, you know, if I had to make a guess today, I'd say the Democrats could pick up about five seats. But right now, that's it looks the like low a end or the high end? That's my high end. That's not your average. Yeah. To, to bring it back to the, the Castro group, and maybe I'm just concerned trolling on behalf of the Texas Democratic Party right now, but <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what. The Castros, particularly Julian Castro, are how they're going to engage in Texas this cycle, because in in Julian's uh, case specifically, you have someone who has set up this group, made clear that he's going to be traveling outside of Texas, made clear that he has national ambitions beyond 2018, but it's also said he wants to remain involved in Texas, and so that begs the question of which races are you going to engage with in Texas? You, you say you want to, you know, compete everywhere, you want to deal with these local races, so. Are you going to reach down to the state legislative races? How are you going to help them out? Who are you going to right. help them out? Are you going to get involved before the the primary is over? Well, and the press release indicated yes. You know, we are yeah. going to we are. Hey, I'm not I'm not doubtful. I'm just but, curious to see no, how it's going to unfold. I mean, uh, but unfold. if but if history is any guide here, these guys once they get on the national stage, they say, oh, I'm not sure we want to waste so, our so money. So right in now Texas. he's endorsed two congressional candidates, all right up in Dallas and Jay Hewlings in San Antonio, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's been like a formal press release endorsement of, of Jay Hoolings, but it's widely believed that he's supporting. And Hoolings was a friend. He went yeah, his to his political state, was ally of some Harvard Law School guy with. Yeah, he went to yeah, law school yeah. or college with them or something, right? right? Yeah. So well, um, common touch, Harvard Law. <laughs> well, you know. Um, so who's he going to endorse in the uh, Trey or a Revelo in the House race? You think they're going to stay away from that? That's like an oven mitts race. You don't want to get Yeah, but it's also it. a home race. That's where you actually would have an impact. You know, most of the times an endorsement doesn't do anything for the people you endorse. It does something for or to you. It has more to do with the endorser than the endorsee in a lot of cases. Well, unless, hopefully unless having, you're actually raising money for hopefully them. Hopefully having mentioned this, like conjuring up Beetlejuice, Trey will buy text us and tell us who I'll click my heels we'll three times. In yeah. the meantime, Cynthia wants to know on social media, are there any Texas mayors that might flip? There's one. Well, the mayors are nonpartisan yeah. offices. It's like a trick question. And it's like, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Yeah, but you often Who is? No. Not up in 18, too, right? Yeah, are mayors up in 18? Some of them are. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Cynthia, the, we're going to have to The answer to that question is, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think the big ones are up in 18. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, uh, just a reminder, if you're listening to this TribCast on iTunes, please take a second to review us and subscribe. Here's a recent review from Cool Ryan. 
Love the it's obviously not Ryan Murphy. He, he works here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody cool. Love the banter between all of y'all and the fact that some leaders join you on occasion. I'd love for an unleashed Strauss appearance with nothing held back. <laughs> also, Kia, if you're listening, more Kia, please. Miss her reporting for the San Angelo Standard Times. Uh, this was Kia's mom. Cool. <laughs> so, so cool Ryan. This is Collier, right? Cool Ryan in San Angelo, right? Right. Uh, all right. Well, one race that a lot of Democrats obviously would really love to be in contention is the Ted Cruz, likely Ted Cruz, Beto O'Rourke matchup uh, for the Senate. Um, but there's a new poll out this week. Uh, consider the source from Cruz's folks that tells us what, Patrick? Yeah, this was a, a poll that was done in mid-December, right before the holidays, by uh, the polling firm that works with Cruz's campaign. And it it found that Cruz has an 18-point lead over O'Rourke. Um, I forgot the exact uh, 52 to 34. Levels, yeah. With 13 percent And furthermore, undecided. it found that, you know, uh, again, taking with a grain of salt because of the source, it, it found that O'Rourke still is unknown to many Texans. I believe in this poll, 68 percent said they didn't know enough about him to have an opinion, uh, whereas in the same poll, uh, I think it was like— uh, that's the Semmer Rodriguez. Ninety-nine percent, right all but one percent knew right. of Cruz, and I think he had a kind of a, a fifty, forty-six favorability rating. What is point. his recent approval rating? I mean, there's been some statistic getting thrown around recently about Cruz's approval rating. I, you know, I, I, it Did was. You about, buy this poll? Well, it, you know, the thing that stuck out to me about this poll was, uh, and this is a really good polling firm. These guys know what they're doing. I know that, you know, you don't release polls that are negative and that, you know. Right. Well, it's Cruz's own it's, polling It comes firm. with all this topspin. Right. But right. one of the things I thought was most interesting in this poll was that they put their March numbers in here. And their March numbers were Cruz 49 and O'Rourke 35. That's the same within the margin of error. This mm -hmm. thing has not changed from March until now is basically what this poll says. Yeah. It's a four percent. I don't like internal error. polls. And I don't like internal <laughs> polls that are all this all yeah. these months. Yeah, I just you know I think it's there's so a reason why there are not O'Rourke Cruz polls in the field that the results of which have been reported. It's a race that's ten months away. Right. The the race in front of us is the March primary. The idea that the Beto O'Rourke who the public does or does not know now will right. be the Beto O'Rourke who will be the candidate against Ted Cruz in the fall is false. If, and faulty. If so, what's the yeah, significance? Well, what's the significance of Team Cruz putting out these poll results publicly right now? It's a brushback pitch. It's a fundraising pitch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, a fundraising pitch, i.e., you know, they are. We see this as sort of within striking distance. I think, well, I think they just want to heading into the new year. They want it to flatten whatever perceived momentum what will work, and the yeah. Democrats have after 2017, where again Democrats beat expectations in some red parts of the country. They obviously won the Alabama Senate election. So I think it makes sense uh, from a st strategic standpoint. He's trying to say this is not an Alabama. This well, is not well, and in fact, Politico this week did their uh, beginning of the year list of the. Uh, yeah, not a lot of Texans ten, on that list. Yeah. Ten <laughs> races, the ten Senate races to watch, and the O'Rourke Cruz race is not even on the list. And one of the reasons they said is, although it got an honorable mention, it's like a middle school field day ribbon. Everyone gets one, right? Right, participation the, trophy. The, the deal was um, uh, uh, too expensive for the Democrats to compete effectively. The Texas is too expensive, and then it's too much of an uphill slog. Let's stipulate the Texas is not at the top of the Democrats' priority list. Right. At the same time, if the political environment in this country leaches onto our shores, anything like it's leached onto the shores of other states, red, purple, and blue, we really do not know what the fall looks like down here. So I think a poll that is nine months or 10 months or 11 months out that assumes 
name ID today is name ID later and doesn't really take into account what we don't yet know, which is the political environment in the state. We have no idea. That's why I asked you about whether you thought five seats in the, te- in the House by the Democrats was a ceiling or a floor. It's, you know, I think because there were Republicans in the Capitol community who were talking about the possibility that the Republicans could lose double digit numbers of seats in the House if the environment yeah. turns out really bad. At some moment, you, conservative. At, at, yeah, some, at some moment, you begin to run into your own maps. And, you know, even if the Democrats had candidates and the Republicans stumbled, some of these maps are determinative and it's difficult to win. You know, a lot more seats than that. You could win more seats than that, but I don't think you're going to get into double digits. Yeah. I think I think it's going to be probably around five. I was just going to add to uh, some, some some people I saw respond to this poll and say, "Oh well, you know, work's just getting started. This race is just beginning." And it's true that a lot of people aren't tuned, haven't tuned in yet. We don't know exactly what the political environment is going to be in November of next year. But you, you can't forget the fact that O'Rourke has been campaigning very hard, right? Very hard, uh, with all due credit, for nine months. I mean, he announced on March 31st, and he has been on the road almost nonstop ever since this week he's going to uh, more than a dozen different cities uh, alone taking off taking advantage of the many the, of them cities that don't vote the for week Democrats. that the, the house well, has off so uh, i mean so you can't rick, discount that yeah. he's he's been out there we have a question from rick andrews on twitter is aurora's commitment to visit all 254 counties in texas a gimmick or a real chance to narrow margins in rural red communities it's a hell of a goal to set honestly yeah, john Odom running for attorney general did Lord. this Put out a, ended up putting out a coffee table book of courthouses around Texas. What, I wonder what percentage of Texas counties you all have visited in your Probably Texas less travels. than him. I think they put out a Indiana count. Indiana Jones yeah. over here <laughs> has been to <laughs> Travis <laughs> County. Where else? Yeah, Travis, Harris, Dallas. Um, it's a long drive. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that they the, the war campaign put out a number at the end of 2017, mm-hmm. and they were they were over halfway through that goal. But does um, it make a difference? I, I mean, you know, I he's not out there saying I'm going to win Lubbock County. Right. What he's out there telling people, and I think that there is some truth to this, even if there is some political spin on it, is that Ted Cruz got X percentage in this county in 2012. Right. Uh, we're going to make sure that that's even just a, f- a few points lower in uh, 2018. X minus. And, and that's right. what happens when you show up. You don't immediately win mm-hmm. the county, but you, you start making those kinds and, of inroads. And part B of this really gets into your next topic, which is the... You oh, know, you know what, what my next topic is? I, I, my Nostradamus-like <laughs> ability to predict what you're going to ask next. You know, the Abbott campaign in pursuing the Hispanic vote in 2014, and the signs are they're going to pursue a similar and more aggressive strategy in 2018, was really to hit him where they ain't to go to places where Republicans typically did not campaign, to communities where Republicans did not campaign. And even if you pick up a couple of persuadable people in those communities, over the course of the campaign, that stuff adds up. What what, O'Rourke is not expecting to win San Angelo, but if he gets a couple, three, four points better in San Angelo than the typical Democrat who doesn't show up in San Angelo Mm -hmm. does, and that is replicated in other places, then he not only puts himself in better contention, but he also makes the pl- the prospect of a Democrat winning statewide that much more plausible the next time. Well, the demonstration the project for this was George Bush in 1998. Went right. to El Paso five times, I think. Right. Did better in El Paso than certainly any Republican governor has done in ages. And, you know, you don't win, but you do really, really well and cut into a critical county for the Democrats. Right. You know, O'Rourke, O'Rourke, O'Rourke's trying to do is, the same thing. O'Rourke is definitely in uphill battle territory as far as this race goes. But do I put his chances at winning this race at 0%? I do not. I think O'Rourke is in a better position than a lot of Democrats have been in these statewide races over the last 10 to 15 years in the sense that the environment is an unknown element. Every once in a while, the mosquito gets past the windshield. We're going to give Evan one of those New York Times like odometer things that gives everyone heart palpitations. If the the Cruz 
uh, O'Rourke race is competitive, I believe other races will be unexpectedly competitive, too. I don't think that O'Rourke and Cruz is in a vacuum. If O'Rourke is running Cruz tight, then maybe you're right about 10 seats in the House. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could happen. Well, I guess. And, and honestly, and Bruce Willis look, movie if, with an asteroid But go, go back to the thing we started talking about. If you go back to the congressional races, you know, some of those congressional districts being more competitive than they normally are will have a reverberating effect elsewhere, too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. If Democrats are more enthusiastic in the Culberson district or in the Sessions district or in the Heard district or in the Lamar Smith district than they've been historically, those people are not going to come out and vote Democrat for Congress and Republican for state legislature, by and large. That's going to be a, that's going to be a positive deal for the Democrats across the board. Right. Well, Andrew Lopez wants to know on Twitter if 2018 in Texas is going to be a Latino range war. We start, we touched on this a little bit. Um, you know, between Abbott really sort of making a concerted effort to go after Latinos and running against a Democratic Latina sheriff, um, you know, Beto being a border candidate, uh, Cruz obviously being Hispanic, uh, Republican contender, um, you know, is this Ross? Your quick answer to this was no, eh. nope. Um, I I think this year is going to be a fight over, uh, you know, what you might call November Republicans or presidential year Republicans, people who don't ordinarily vote in Republican primaries but ordinarily vote Republican. A lot of those are moderates. That's what the Democrats are fighting for now, and it's what the Republicans are fighting over right now. You know, in some ways, the Republican Party in Texas today is where the Democratic Party in Texas was in around 1979 when the Republicans were wrestling away some Democrats and um, because the Democratic Party had gotten too liberal for a lot of its Texas conservatives. I'd like to note that both Evan and Patrick are on their phones in the TripCast. Well, can you, can you, uh, uh, I'm out. Gage, can you explain what you mean by a, a Latino range war? You know, is this, I think he's asking, you know, is this going to be sort of a referendum on Latino voters when we have all of these sort of, um, you know, these issues front and center in these campaigns and these candidates who have, you know, sort of put a, a drawn a line in the sand on, you know, this being a, a constituency that they're actively pursuing? I don't think so anymore than in, in, in any other year. Um, I mean, you, there's obviously, again, it goes back to the national environment. You know, how, how much more is the national environment uh, and what the president is doing and Republicans in Congress are doing is going to antagonize the Latino uh, vote? And how does that spill over into Texas? Obviously, we have statewide office holders here who um, play into that as well. But I, I don't. At this point, I guess I'd have to agree with Ross. Yeah, I, you know the the three the three policy him. issues that are that are apparent right now. And again, this is one of those ten month questions, right? But right now, you're looking at continuing litigation over the state's new sanctuary city law. You're looking at whatever the administration decides to do and how hard it presses on DACA or not. What it right. does on the border wall right. and part of its infrastructure program. And what's going to be the Republican argument for Hispanic votes in Texas? A lot of this is governed by national politics, which, you know, there's always been this disjointedness between what works in national Republican politics and what works in Texas Republican politics in terms of an appeal to Hispanics. Trump Trump said the other day, oh, Hispanics are going to love Trump because the Democrats have done nothing on DACA. So Trump killed DACA. But then blames the Democrats for not coming up with a fix to save his chestnuts right. on DACA. I mean, That's, at, I mean, yeah. and his assumption is that Hispanics are going to somehow race over to his side. This is similar to what he said campaigning in black churches during the campaign. Right. You know, what the hell do you have to lose? Give the Republicans a chance you're getting nothing right. from the Democrats. Democratic turnout, let's stipulate in 2016, against a guy who theoretically could have been the biggest magnet for Democratic Hispanic votes ever. Hispanic turnout, generally speaking, was not nearly the big wave that everybody predicted it would be. 
or in 14 is, or in 12 or right. in 10 or in right. 8 sleeping or sleeping giant right. has and while still this, not this is gonna, I mean I'm with Patrick and, and Ross that this is going to be a nationalized election cycle right. Trump is in fact not on the ballot and you know can Lupe Valdez by being a Hispanic candidate for governor somehow draw out a lot of people who would otherwise not turn out to vote I mean that's the top race on the ballot you know, is the Senate race and, we'll see. and you know to the extent that this is you know at least in law right now, I think they might change this, but at least in law right now, we have one more straight ticket election in Texas. And if you're going in to pull a Republican or a Democratic lever, some of that's going to be based on that top race. Without a Roy Moore on the other side. Is Beto going to be on the ballot as Beto O'Rourke or Robert O'Rourke? Robert Beto. Robert Beto. Quote, he Beto. does get a Beto. Just like and, Larry Sissi and Raphael gets Gilmore. A t- and Raphael gets a Ted. To, to his credit, I think right. you look at the, the banner race so far, statewide race, the Senate race, O'Rourke has a compelling story because of where he's from geographically, but he's also able to talk about the border in a more holistic way than I think we've seen right. Democrats talk about the border. He's able to talk about it in economic terms that could appeal to, to moderate Republicans. He, he's able to talk about it more than just something that has to deal with security and, and immigration, or he's able to talk about how those things are, are linked. I mean, the, the, you know, the question for him is, is he going to be well-known enough by the time it's election day, and is he going to be able to have the resources to get that message out so that he can he can permeate the the electorate with it which is why you put out a poll now to try to kill his resources (laughs) right exactly all right well that's all the time we have this week if you like listening to the tribcast please do us a favor and leave us a review on itunes and if you value the tribune's nonprofit nonpartisan newsroom please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org thanks to shiny ribs for our music and on behalf of evan ross patrick and our producers todd and bobby this is emily thanks for listening Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking.